0: Welcome to the Freeborn Shard Episode 7, a podcast dedicated to the game Beyond the Gates of Antares by Rick Priestley and Warlord Games.
1: I'm Tim Bancroft in Stonehenge. And I'm Justin Shearer from Melbourne. And this week, in addition to our normal news and reviews, we'll be taking a look at the forces of the Asaurian Shard and the Cenotex.
0: We've got interviews with Jez Alam, who is a notable isaurian fan and we've got rick coming on later to give us some more of the background and we've a special interview with andy hobday yeah this is going to
1: be an absolute ripper of an episode
0: we need to talk about a few of the things that have been going on since the Boromai episode and one of those is the painting competition
1: Oh, there was some fantastic stuff. Um, obviously all the winners are on the website. I see you got an honourable mention, Tim.
0: I feel rather humbled and unworthy to get there, but I, I reckon it was probably because I customised that Gar Trooper so much to turn him into Rebel Fartop. Yeah, yeah. But the other paint schemes are just incredibly inspiring.
1: All of the winners, um I do have a real suspect for that Taras Janar that one and I I when I saw it again, I was spewing that I had forgotten it on the previous episode because it was a—it's a real standout model, the the green Taras Janara. Mm. I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think that model is just fantastic to begin with, and then that paint job really, really just next level. Really impressed.
0: Facing was really lovely as well with those yeah. the, with those little plants there. And we've also solemn rewards. Beautiful boromite matriarch was just so crisp, and it just popped out at you. It was, Purple
1: one, yeah, it was yeah. fantastic. Really good. I think I think we've mentioned that one on the cast before. And if we haven't, we probably should have. So there's that one. <laughs>
0: we also also mentioned spellscape. A really lovely subtle colour scheme. Yeah. Gorka and Matthias Carnero had some really strong colour schemes, and Steve Beckett had a rather intricate boromite, didn't he?
1: Yeah. There's like a hundred colours in that boromite. It's um it works it's just yeah it's all the colors put together and it, it just looks like you know some of those rock formations that you see and i just it's, it's really good however i imagine the poor bloke is probably gonna jump out a window painting a whole army like that but um <laughs> as an individual model it looks fantastic it's just They're
0: the sort of figures where you'd love to see them on the table against you wouldn't you
1: yes yes i would i would Happily play games against models that look like that, even if they would make me feel sad about, um, you know, my models not quite looking as, as nice. But you know,
0: yeah, but it's lovely playing against that sort of stuff. Further news: we've got Andy talking about the Warlord Club offer later.
1: Hey, two new groups in Melbourne! Fantastic. <laughs> I'm very, very excited about that. So for me personally, that's just great news. But I'm pretty sure that everybody would have put in some pretty fantastic applications and hope, I'm just looking forward to seeing some more um, pictures on the website, it'd be great. Otherwise,
0: things have been a bit slow at Warlord and they've been quite honest about this, they've been rolling out Conflict 47 and Bolt Action 2. Yeah,
1: look, I have to admit, I've never been interested in historicals, never been remotely interested in World War 2 games, but... I am a little tempted by Conflict Forty Seven. It looks great. It is a little tempting, isn't it? I have to <laughs> say. Yeah, I just I love the the walkers and stuff. They look fantastic. So I'm I'm, I'm going to try and resolve not to jump into it. But um, there, there are a couple of Antares releases. So the big El Goran Compression Bombard was released, mm-hmm. which is a personal favourite model of mine since I first saw it in the book. And the new 500 point freeborn scout force, three feral squads, the penguins, and the new skimmer. I think it's a great little force. New skimmer
0: is awesome. We had a sub in on the table for a a sort of boot camp game. I ran Tuesday and it really proved its worth. It was really quite. Devastating.
1: This is another one like the Boromite list, and in that, this one is—if I was going to put a Freeborn five hundred point list on the table, this would be pretty close to it in terms of. It's just got all the cool stuff.
0: Absolutely, I've just written an article about Freeborn, and it's amazing to actually see that it's very similar to what's actually in this five hundred point army list, which is really quite fantastic.
1: I'm I'm very very keen for for more frequent Antares releases to start firing through. So fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. Keep it, keep it coming guys. You're doing some great stuff. We're just greedy. What can we say? There's events. There is a competition come up in Telford and it's worth checking out the Facebook page for that. Justin, I hear you've got some unfortunate news about your games day in Melbourne.
1: Unfortunately, the event we've been working towards, we had a few sort of people who couldn't quite commit with a few things. So we're not going to run a tournament this time. Um, but you know, with the the two new um, big groups that are going to be playing in Melbourne, we should we should have good size numbers very soon for it. But, but what we're going to do instead, I think, is just run a few little game days, demo days, and things. And we're going to get together for a few games tomorrow. Any tomorrow at the time of recording, anyway. Um, <laughs> so I'm quite I'm I'm quite pumped about that.
0: I think you're going to be rewarded sooner or later once people see the results of the competition.
1: I'm of the view that yes, it's disappointing, but it's not the end of the world and, you know, the part of it is kind of, all right, well, you know, you do try and run something, but maybe you're just jumping the gun a little bit. And it's kind of about how you build a group. And I'm very confident we'll be able to build a group. Um, there is another event we should mention too. Um, Justin Rodriguez, who's a loyal fan and, and long-time listener, um, always emailing us. He's running um, samantari's 500-point introductory games at Strategicon, Gateway's gaming convention at the Hilton LAX, in Los Angeles, and that's on the third and fourth of September. So probably by the time this airs, three four weeks away. Go um, go along. There's a website, Strategicon. Strategicon, yeah. Strategicon, you see, you're the radio guy. You do it better. <laughs> um, and he's posted on the Wall of Games forum, and it's probably on the Intel page and so on. So if you're around in LA, check it out and say good day. Say
0: good day from us tell him the freeborn shard said hello he's a good guy
1: good luck with that one and um if if you're also holding an event and you want to to shout out do drop us a line we're more than happy to do it and i think we're at that stage where you know we've, we've just got to run uh, a lot of demo days just to really grow things so
0: and on that i will say that every tuesday from the 6th of september you will probably find a Antares game at the Boscombe Down and Ainsley War Games Club. If you want to come along and just take part, again, just email us at the Freeborn Shard, and I will make sure there's something there for you. I think this is when we move on to hobby. Mm. What have you been doing
1: lately? Well, I've been dealing with a little boy who's uh, had allergic reactions and constant nightmares. So for the last oh, week, no. I've been <sighs> playing very little. But I have been working uh, uh, in terms of Antares I have been working on my uh, Elgrin and I'm probably another couple of painting sessions away from actually having a few completed units all the rattle can work is done and now I just need the actual time to sort of do all the detail work and um, put on the the armor chips and so on so slowly getting there not as fast as I might like but um, looking forward to some games tomorrow and I think that's probably just as exciting in terms of getting some hobby in Um, probably more exciting it's been you know Two weeks. You, you need the gaming fix. Need the gaming fix.
0: So I've been interesting. I've had some free time in the evenings lately, which has been great. So I'm just finishing off my Concorde, drop troops, interceptors, a few drones here and there. But I'm actually... Just managing to move finally onto expanding my Gar Rebels. I've got a decided on a 120-year-old grizzled and set in his ways High Commander who was forced into exile by the actions of Karg.
1: He's just, he's ruining everything for everyone.
0: We now have a special guest with us, who's going to tell us about the really great club offer from Warlord, and it's Andy Hobday. Hello Andy. Hello Tim. Nice to have you on The Shard. Oh, it's great to be here. Could you tell us something about this club offer? It was it was four clubs. I think about four people in four clubs or something
2: it was that's correct uh, it really came from the community we kept being asked uh, if we would uh, support different groups different clubs uh, with Antares how we how to get involved et etc et etc and we had a lot of interest coming back to Warlord. So we thought that it would be great if we could develop this and, uh, you know, really get as many involved as we could.
0: So is it just four people or is there more involved?
2: This is uh, really interesting, actually. What happened was we thought we would get four groups. We We were very interested in getting four groups. And the idea behind it was we were really interested in the group's reaction to Antares right from the beginning of this uh, let's call it an initiative. The idea was we would hopefully receive their insight into the game, looking forward to hearing their backstories about their forces, how they paint their factions, you know, and because the idea was that no one had had any uh, experience, prior experience to Antares, or very little it would be very fresh and quite exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, and we thought it would be a lot of fun and a great way to, uh, to meet and get involved with the community. Especially, as you know, Antares is such a fun game to play. We thought we four, four groups of four people. But what's happened is we, we, we got absolutely inundated with applications. And, and you know, this, the stuff we received was just brilliant. You know, why people wanted to play, people had gone out of their way, they'd uh, they sent us uh, little articles about themselves, what they wanted to do, why they should be playing Antares. And it, we were we were absolutely floored by the response to this. And Wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I thought this is a great opportunity for, for us to do a bit more for the community. So I spoke to uh, John Stallard uh, last week and said, look, John, we've had such a response. And he said, well, look, let's get as many people involved as we can. So he said... Instead of doing four groups, let's do eight groups. Oh, wonderful. And so we doubled it. And so we've now gone from uh, 16 people to 32 people.
0: And that's all of them will be receiving a starter army of some kind.
2: Yes. Well, what we want to do is we want to give them everything they need to get started. So they're all going all to receive a rule book, the templates, uh, pin markers, dice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and they'll get an army of their choice because part of the application was to tell us which faction you wanted to play. It's going to be 500 points because we know that's a great size to get started with. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. But what, what we're going to do is we, we're sending out a PDF to them uh-huh. all. As well ahead of time So they can choose their force Whichever 500 points they want to do and then, obviously, that will come out with with all the rest of the stuff in time for September.
0: So launch it in September. The big question is, which groups won?
2: Well, I have a good list here, and it's uh, it's quite su- surprising where the uh, applications came from. They came from all over the world. It's this has been a, a truly international response, which has been you know fantastic as well. If I had my way, I would have had a lot more people uh, winning because there was just so so much enthusiasm. Let me let me just run through the groups uh, for you and let you know who's won. Number one on the list, we've got the Scythe and Teacup Gamers uh, Gamer Cafe from Liverpool, which uh, sent for a great application. Theirs was uh, really good. and They they just told us why they should be playing Antares and we couldn't really argue with them. (laughs) To be quite honest about it. The October War Games Association in Birmingham. Again, four groups very passionate about it. And and they really gave us a good insight into the, the background of uh, why they chose their factions. Pool Gaming Society, which obviously is in pool. Guys already set up there. They they really want to go out and they want to show they've got a big membership. They want to uh, intro Antares to them and really get their entire group involved, which uh, we thought was pretty good. And we got the St. Aidan's Warriors mm-hmm. group up in in Scotland. And then we got the rest of the world really uh which which is uh fresh coast gaming in michigan the noise sector in australia uh they're in ringwood near melbourne that their, theirs was the best application i thought they really did it over a, a two-page they did a poster of themselves really hard punch it it had me in stitches and i thought you know these guys would be great to get into Antares tupper forge uh, out in france that's uh jonathan manon and his and his guys i think they did a, a cartoon strip of their game which was of a game that they played, an intro game, was very good. And then, and then we got the uh, Wednesday night ball game, it the WNW, uh, and they're in Melbourne as well. And the fact that we selected two people in in Melbourne was just on the strength of the applications.
0: Wonderful. So it's all over the place.
2: Yes, yeah, all like well, which is great. We think you know, as as many people as we can. And you know, it was like it was a four four split, mostly because that was kind of how the applications came in.
0: So you've had some really really great quality applications, and have seen our local groups, and I know that they put a lot of effort into that as well.
2: It was really difficult. You know, I've got a long list of, of people who were just so close mm. and. It has really taken us all week to, to choose the guys, and r- partly because we didn't want to disappoint anybody, because there was, there was there was so much passion involved, you know, in 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 these applications.
0: I think congratulations go to all of them. Well done, guys, and we look forward to. Uh seeing what you do with this stuff talking of which Mm. what are you expecting to see from these
2: we're seeing it's going to run for about six months and uh it's two major things that we want want them to do one is obviously to paint their forces up and the other thing is we just want each group to write one article a month you know between them uh the idea is you know we we have a bit of a schedule we'd like them to the first one to be about what factions they chose and why you know and and to play the intro game you know the the drone integration scenario yep and just just give us some talk about that how they found the game to start and then month after assembling preparing and painting schemes why they painted in that way how they found assembling the miniatures also talk about train and table what what we've done as well is we've got rick to write a backstory for each so they're all going to have their own planet
0: oh wonderful
2: the idea is we're going to create a like a data slate and it'll have a a picture of a planet on it and it will tell you about a brief background we don't want to influence them too much yeah uh, and impose too much on them but it will kind of tell you what what the uh habitat is like you know the the atmosphere on the planet that kind of thing so they can you know use that to really plant a seed yeah. into into their games so they'll, they're they all going to receive that and we're also going to send them a big box of goodies which they can use to help with their terrain and and to build their build their planet to play on yeah. then we see that the third month painting a bit more on painting their armies. thoughts on their rules the first preliminary games uh all about learning the rules really and how they get on uh, month four, first four games. What scenarios did you play? Mm-hmm. Give us the highlights. Give us the low points. Give us, give us, you know, uh, a, a, a small battle report, really, just around what what went on. Yep. And then, really, more games. Uh, a bit about the background that their forces start to develop some background because, as you know, Antares is, is totally limitless. You can put your own identity on it. That's the idea. We want to encourage these guys to do that to add to the to the background of Antares.
0: Yeah, backstory is very strong, and uh, it's a common theme throughout all the people we've interviewed or spoken to. is people mm. love making up a backstory for their own forces.
2: Totally, and, and part of this in, in uh, during that month as well, we're going to help them create their own characters to lead their forces. <laughs> so you know they can really get behind that. We'll send them out the bits to to really do a good conversion, yeah. create a real character to lead their force. Yeah. Uh, and then the last bit, in, and this again, no, they don't really know this is. We're gonna we're gonna run a an event at Warlord, yeah, which will, which is good for the guys in the UK, uh, obviously. But the guys in the rest of the world, it's gonna be probably difficult for them to come over. Yeah. But uh, we're gonna plan something for them too. But the idea is, that we'll get a trip up, play some games up uh, Warlord with Rick spend some time with Rick, you know, the creator of the game. And, you know, we'll we'll also get the guys to be able to dial in as well uh, and talk to Rick or post some questions. So the idea is to get everybody involved. We, we didn't want to rule any anybody out, you know, just because they weren't in the UK. In fact, it was the opposite. We want to encourage as many people as we can.
0: So at one time you were suggesting you had 200 applicants. Obviously, a few people are going to be disappointed. Yeah,
2: absolutely. We know there's going to be some disappointed people out there. And, you know, sorry, guys, we couldn't we couldn't pick everybody however much we wanted to. But what we've arranged, uh, again, with uh, Mr Stallard, uh, the warlord boss, is we, we're going to send a box to everybody.
0: <laughs> a box to everyone?
2: Which which box? Well, what's going to be in the box is we're actually going to tailor them. Uh, it's going to have the whole, it's going to have a printed version of the drone integration scenario, which is a great intro, uh, way to intro game uh, Antares and have a first taster. Yep. We're going to include all the forces you're going to need for that, including the C3M4 drone. Wow. We're going to, we're going to all the dice, all the templates, uh, and we're also going to put a rule book in. So each group or club will get one of those.
0: So effectively, everybody who enters is going to get something. They're going to get a couple of forces, including that wonderful drone.
2: Yeah, it's exactly that. Even though they're not going to get a force each, there'll be two decent sized forces there for the, for the clubs to get going with.
0: That sounds absolutely great. I'm sure the people who applied are going to be just overjoyed with that, even though they didn't actually win. Yeah,
2: we, we, we had to answer the people's enthusiasm. So this is our way of giving the community something back.
0: Well, it's really wonderful, Andy. I'm really quite chuffed, really pleased to hear this. And I've got to ask the cheeky question, of course. Do you Ooh. have any similar plans to this coming up?
2: Uh, the other thing we would like to do, though, is it's, it's uh, not really aimed at the clubs, but we want to identify some people out there who uh, <laughs> Rick, Rick would like to refer to them as builders, uh, guys in areas who uh, have, have picked up Antares and run with yep. it would be happy to go out to clubs to groups and intro game the game for them and show them how to play it and also to run many events in their area yeah. so you know that's the next thing i think we'll be looking for we'll be looking for start small two or three of these people uh and then we'll see how that goes as well and they will be totally supported and and by warlord games in the, you know it's uh it's the least we could absolutely do for
0: that so the builders are coming the builders
2: are coming absolutely
0: <laughs> andy that is absolutely fantastic uh, thank you very much for telling us about the offer uh, and the winners and what's actually going to be given out to everybody who actually took part and i look forward to seeing more about these builders coming up and a couple of final questions if i may and that's any hints about what's coming next in the Antares product line
2: i can make some hints wonderful <laughs> we uh, the next uh uh, I know people are pretty keen about plastics. Yep. Uh, the next plastics are definitely the algorithm. They'll be released, I think, towards the end of this year. Yeah. And I think Steve Sala at the moment is working on Demari, Freeborn Damari plastics. They are beautiful. They will. I think they'll be next, and they're, and they're going to come out, I think, with the the next supplement.
0: Any hints about what's going on in the next supplement?
2: Tanks, yep. Freeborn, and there might be a alien race, maybe, involved in there as well. Who? Well, I'd prefer not to say anything at this point, <laughs> but you'll have to wait and see. But it's, uh, you know, the, the, the Battle for Xylos supplement has been a huge uh, success for us. Uh, and coupled with the, uh, the campaign that, that was run by, on with Beasts of War, yep. uh, Rick at the moment is going through all of that and digesting it ready to write into the next supplement. So you know let's not forget here about Antares that it's a huge universe, but it's it's your universe. Mm. Uh, we want everybody to be involved. We want them to you know put their stamp on it and that's that's what's going to happen. It's going to come into the uh, into the supplement and it, there's so much good in there. Uh, someone said to me, we're always listening you know on the forums, on Facebook. you know it's a bit like Intel really. yeah you know everything is taken on board and read even if we don't comment on it it really is truly your universe
0: that is really wonderful to hear and thank you very much for giving us a few hints about the aldrin and the demari plastics coming up over the next five months or so andy we have to say goodbye now we're running out of time but thanks for coming on
2: oh my pleasure tim it's been great
0: We'll now move on to the first part of our Isaurian theme today. And with us we have what you could call is Mr Isauri, I think, and that's Jez Allen Hello, Jez. Nice to meet you.
3: Get Hi, out, guys. Jess. Hi, Tim. Hi, Justin. How are you? We are absolutely brilliant. Thanks ever so much for volunteering. Well, not so much volunteering as cajoled, I think, but yes, thank you anyway. <laughs> <It'd be> wonderful. <laughs>
0: yes, Justin and I don't really like having the Freeborn Shard as a theory craft yes. exercise. We weren't real games experience because it's easy to theory craft, but it's actually more difficult to work out how
1: things work on the table Often things are a little bit different from the spreadsheet to the table the translation isn't always Uh, straight
3: Yes, I think we're going to cover one of those points very shortly (laughs) Yes,
0: Yes, I mean one of the things for example is that it looks on paper that the Isaurians are actually very similar to the C3 Is that how it happens in reality?
3: Uh, Yeah, to a certain extent at the moment with the the model releases that are available yes, they they play very very similarly to the C3. I've played quite a few games with the C3 and quite a few games of the Isaurians now and the the initial army composition with the way that it's set out uh, that's all like 500, 750,000 points you end up having a basic core of troops which are very very similar. What we do in this phase is go
0: through the weapons and kit and equipment that's unique to the
3: army list in this case we've got to start off of course with phase armour. I love phase armour Absolutely wonderful thing. It's uh, very similar to the C3 armor. The fact that you still get the, the resolution bonus uh, at range. They'll lose the ability to get the blast resistance. But the ability to phase out and go down has saved my guy's numerous times by forcing re-rolls combine that with things like camo drones as well on snipers and all of a sudden it's a game changer
0: so from that particular
3: instance they
0: are very different from the c3 because the c3 have to stand there and take it
3: yeah absolutely something like um the the phase sniper obviously comes with phase armor it's a very fragile unit and this is quite common amongst the the isaurians the they're very glass hammerish the the deal out a lot of damage but they're quite fragile in return uh, so the the ability to have something like the face sniper which really you need to have um, set quite far back so you' got a very long range with a good line of sight means generally you, unless you're quite lucky or you, you place it carefully they're going to be quite open so uh, Something like a shield drone and a, and a camo drone all of a sudden elevates the phase armour into another level. So it's a combination of factors. Yeah, the the, the phase armour is great to say just to be able to get the guys to shoot first. And then when the incoming fire comes in, if you're going to get a real tatering from your shooting, right, I'm going to get down. Uh, force it to re-roll the hits Uh, and then it's usually quite easy to get the guys back up afterwards especially if you're in command range of your leader or if you upgrade your guys to leader it makes it a bit easier it's the same true for the face shift shield on the vehicles face shift shield now i'm going to be quite honest with you i haven't really used the vehicles okay uh, because there aren't any available i'm a bit of a model purist in that i like to use the models that are released For the ranges.
0: The phase shift shield is on the Isaurian vehicles. It's activated on a failed res save if it has any dice that are not down. The vehicle then goes down with all its dice and re rolls a single failed res check. So it's not quite the same as the phase armor.
1: Its effect is in some ways a little bit similar to how the command crawler works with its leader re-rolls. So yeah. obviously there's a few more restrictions and so on, but as we know, playing against command crawlers, or playing with command crawlers in Tim's case, <laughs> that's very, very powerful. So I dare say that once those vehicle models are out, this will be a very, very effective upgrade.
3: What about the phase rifle though? Having played a few games with it now, um, the, the D6 is a little bit hit and miss. It, it's very random. You just get the single shot uh, when it moves. That's okay. You, you kind of expect that. But if you you give it a fire order, you don't move it. You know, you really want to try and maximise those those hits and maximise the ability of that uh, that phase sniper rifle. But um, I must admit, I've had more ones and sixes. I prefer taking the X launcher.
0: Uh, I, I find it's interesting that the X launcher is perhaps a little bit more effective, or is it just because it's more flexible?
3: Exactly, it's more utilitarian, so you've got more choice. Especially if you armor it, if you give it all of the ammunition, yeah, um, and an extra crew, it's coming in at you know, in spot a spotter drone, it's coming in really at the same kind of points as a face sniper yeah. with mm-hmm. um, a camo drone. And a shield drone, because you can't take one without the other. You, you need the shield drone to stop the camo drone getting taken out from lucky hits.
0: Interesting to know. So there is a hint there. And we're weaving this uh, phase sniper throughout everything we're saying here. And it's a case of you can't just take him raw, but you have to take him as a package.
1: Sure. I guess that brings us to the the sanra.
3: Oh yes, the Sanra. <laughs> I love the idea of Sanra, and I'm so pleased that we've finally got um, a, a proper alien race. Because at the moment, everything's human, as you know, uh, or a derivative. So, it's, so to it's, so actually get a, a proper alien race now is, uh, or the start of it anyway, is fantastic.
0: The only drawback, though, I think, is possibly that they're large.
3: Yeah, it's it's the draw, the biggest drawback I found about the Sanra is the the size of them, the large rule. They are basically big humans. Effectiveness in game, though, I've found them to be less than an optimal choice.
0: Is this directly because of the large?
3: Yeah, couple that with the bigger base size. Yeah, the bulk of the models wouldn't necessarily be an issue too much because yeah. you can still hide them behind scenery or stick them in woods or you know the equivalent, alien equivalent of it, uh, or a building. Uh, but as soon as they've got the large rule, they can't go in a building. Yeah. Then they can't benefit from cover, and then they can't sprint. And there's far too many drawbacks. They, could even, they can't even be screened behind something else, unless it's another large thing, because they can be seen. Yeah. Uh, so I think when you're looking at things like large infantry like the... The gar walkers, like the the actual assault squads and stuff like that, they're great and the large rules really work well for those because they're, quite, they're, they're sort of individual vehicles and they've got very high res and they've got very high combat. When it comes to something that's effectively a large human, then I think the rules fall down a little bit on those and... Um, all of a sudden there's far too many drawbacks to Mm. taking the unit than there is benefits of taking it i mean things like the duo carbine is a fantastic weapon i mean
0: it's what is it it's single shot it's sv3 whereas in scatter mode it's rf3 you know rapid fire three which makes it a really nasty heavy weapon absolutely i think it's time to move on to pulse bikes uh Have you had any
3: experience of these, really? One thing I am very much looking forward to is getting hold of the the Isaurian Pulse Bikes and a Pulse Bike Command and doing a fast attack, a fast deployment.
0: Yeah, there is a question about this, though. I mean, would you actually use the phase armour and their their ability to go down? In other words, would you really want a fast unit like the Pulse Bikes to risk going down?
3: No, you wouldn't need to because you've got the fast roll. So, you know, a lot of it will just... uh, you know you, re-roll put, anyway. you're anyway. forcing re-rolls anyway that would come the the phase armor would then come into its own if you were to dismount them and use them as an infantry squad afterwards
0: i think it's worthwhile mentioning here that when we say that you can re-roll the uh, hits against them because they're fast that's fast when they've actually got a run order
3: yeah. yeah oh yeah there's no reason not to once they've got into position then you can start maneuvering them and really hammer a unit with the the twin weapons the jaw weapons and then get the hell out of dodge again like with uh with a run order um, I, I
1: guess i guess it's also worth pointing out a couple of gotchas with these bikes as well and they're the same gotchas as with the c3 and that is um, of course you know the the variable armor at close range and you'll spend a lot of time where that's relevant if you're Assaulting things and so on, you'll be up very, very close. And, and the other thing, of course, is if you choose to equip them with um, lances, you know, replace any of the, the, the twin right. plasma carbides, that, you know, more than one lance can't split more than one way. So if you've got three lances, they can still only split between two targets. So um, all the lances have to go to the same place. So um, that's really, really important uh, with the way that these bikes tend to function. And exactly the same as the C3, but the uh i guess the added drawback of you're probably not going to make use of your phase armor with these bikes so we're thinking that, about yeah. yeah absolutely it's
3: it's well worth considering if you're going to run uh, a multiple bike squad uh, multiple bike army sorry is have the predominance of your army based with the the twin weapons but then have a squad because you can upgrade as many as you want i believe so that's to right yeah have lances and maybe look at running um, sort of like a, an anti-vehicle squad or something, you know, that tends to hide at the back a lot, things like uh, ex-houses and stuff like that where they don't necessarily need to get into line of fire, uh, to have a unit that can get very rapidly into place and then really punish that unit with um, with lance activity.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> We're overflowing a little bit into the uh, second section and I think on that it's worth saying we'll move on now. We're now moving on to the units in the army list of the Isaurians, both from the core book and from the Battle for Xylos supplement. Jez, what
3: are your lists like overall? Generally, they're all very, very similar because I've played a lot of games at smaller levels, so I tend to play quite a lot of 500 and 750 point level games. So uh-huh. because of the way that the, the lists are set out, you tend to have to have a very similar kind of force organisation. Uh-huh. Uh, I have dabbled with the the San Ra, uh, and I've kind of come away from them because of the way that I don't feel they quite work at the moment, so uh-huh. more... Army compositions tend to be a solid core of three to four phase squads with um, a command squad. Again, mm. the, the Nuhu isn't available just yet. Now, I have mm. used them in the past with the C3, and I know how good they are. Um, they are, quite frankly, phenomenal units. Um, and I've seen the the Nuhu... I saw a Nuhu up at... Warlord head office. So I really want to wait for that model to come uh, yeah. before I start using that. So it's generally it's a it's a command squad, a good core of four squads of six phase uh, Semtex phase squads, uh, and then for support, depending on the points level of play, it tends to be either an x launcher with all the gobbins or a couple of um, light support drones. Yeah. Or with- mm-hmm. in a single unit with butter drone and a spotter drone.
0: You said earlier that a, a spotter drone in each unit is a definite must. Absolutely. Why so?
3: I think when you're, you're utilising things like plasma carbines and plasma lances, you really, really need to maximise the, the power of those units, uh, those particular guns themselves, especially if you have a bad roll. Never underestimate the power of a re-roll for any reason whatsoever.
0: Even on plasma carbines?
3: Absolutely, because you can single-shot them, uh, you know, and at strike value too, that's not to be sniffed at.
1: And I guess um, also, you know, as you said before, you know, you tend to favour X-launchers and uh, if you're including X-launchers, also having the extra patch site available to you is, is just generally very useful. Yeah,
3: it's very, very Useful to be able to go. Oh, it's a bit out of line of sight. Oh, actually, I can see through that spotter drone there. So it, it does link in very well. It's a nice synergy within the unit. They can soon add up. So it stops you taking more than one guy added to the unit. So six is my default, I'll go to seven. I found a bit too large. Uh, mm-hmm. And I certainly, I certainly wouldn't consider it. It's too big.
0: That's really interesting. And that's reflects some of the talking we've had about the Concorde.
3: But let's actually
0: go on and chat about the specific units, which we haven't yet mentioned. Uh, we've got three real command squads we we ought to have a quick look at. One of those is the Cenotex command squad, which you mentioned you quite like yes. and you use.
3: Well, the command rule, the follow and the, and the leader too, they're, they're all useful. I really like the ability to keep a couple of squads close by my command unit, and I only generally run that in three, so it's a smaller frontage. So if I draw an order die... I can give that to my command squad, and if I know that there's a squad that's in trouble, or I know that it's got pins on it, or I can destroy it, but might not be with one unit, I'll give that command to that order die and get them to get the other guys to act as well. Then you can really pummel that one unit that may have got stranded into submission or. If you've got a, a guy that's left his unit a bit exposed and you think, oh, well, if he gets the order, I, he can then sprint them into cover. Or maybe even with things like the the, the boromite lava mites, they're, they're awful little things. Those are horrible. Mm. So um, you, you want those to die as quickly as you possibly can. So, yeah, if they're sprinting across a ground towards you, you think, oh, they're going to cause me a bit of
1: pain. Then it's worth giving a follow order to the nearby squads. Previously, I, I've poo-pooed the command squads in Concord, and I will say, I, you know, I, I still don't love these command squads, but what makes these a little bit more useful than the Concord equivalent is, of course, because of the phase armor, you're going to spend a lot of time going down, and so that extra command will really pay for itself to make sure your units are getting back up.
3: The the down order from the the reaction with the uh, the order die from incoming fire is too useful not to use. Uh, they say the the extra bump up of command uh, of leadership value really helps to get the the guys back on the feet. I think
0: you've mentioned the new Texas. It's fundamentally the same as the other new who's which you've already gone over in the Concord, so i think probably worth not repeating what we've already said there however something that is unique to the isaurians is xan2 have you used xan2
3: he came quite late to the party for the isaurians he's already done a lot of the painted up the army for me personally so um, he was Released just as I was finishing off the last squad before I had to move back onto the other stuff for commissions and so forth. So
0: I mean, it's worthwhile mentioning just running over his, his useful right. stats. Anyway, he can bring a couple of Nemac light support drones along with him and a new sharded probe unit, the Nano Probe Net, which is interesting because any units within ten inches of the net can use Zanto's command of nine which is just a bit of a boost, but the only issue is that the nanoprobes must stay within five inches of each other. Mm. We'll have to see how this pans out, because most Isaurian units have got a command of eight anyway.
1: Yeah, look, this is the one unit that I'm... You know, I love the model, but I'm really not willing to venture if he's good or not, because... This is one of those ones that he, he's so different on paper that it's just really difficult to uh, to assess what he's going to be like at the table, I think.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. We can't talk about it because we don't feel we've got enough experience to actually talk about it. We've mentioned the phase squads, really, and how useful and effective they are, very similar to the Concorde squads, except, of course, with the phase armour. Mm. We've also gone through a fair bit of the San Ra. The only thing I don't think we've mentioned is that you had an opinion that they would benefit from a transport. Absolutely.
3: They're they're pretty useless without a transport, to be honest with you. Um, Lumbering across the battlefield, being unable to sprint is very restrictive on them. So Mm -hmm. in order to get them where they need to be, ideally, because they can't benefit from cover along the way either, uh, or Mm. be shipped by much Uh, they need to sit in a transport
0: we spoke to rick the other the other day about this and he suggests a two-for-one rule so one sanra trooper takes up two spaces in a transport Mm. so
3: you'd still get a squad of five in the togra uh transporter drone because you can transport 10 people
0: so that might help them but of course it's it gets quite expensive at that point now pulse bikes we've gone through those already i think we just have to mention that they're tactical don't we really Mm. yes so we could have a complete army made up of them the support teams again wonderful the same as other people is there anything else you want to mention about the face sniper?
3: you need to keep at long range the benefit of having the camo drone means that if you're shot at and you react by going down which you can even if you've had a a sniper you've already acted with it then you can't be targeted at over 10 inches so you, you need to keep them well back um the the ability to automatically miss at long range even if you scatter onto it with a, an overhead weapon is phenomenal because it really is a, a vulnerable item you, you've only sort of got the the sniper itself and the, and the gun you know you need to try and keep it alive mm. as it possibly can so a shield drone to take out any you know, potential lucky hits on the camo drone first of all and then a camo drone to, to make it incredibly useful.
0: Yeah, so the real thing about the face sniper, as we said earlier, is to take it as a team, make sure you've got the shield drone with it, make sure you've got the camera drone with him, and keep him back, because otherwise he is going to be picked off.
3: Yeah, I mean, for for 82 points, it's a a fantastic little shoehorn unit if you you think it's going to be useful to you. Uh, The ability Mm. to um, place multiple hits on one unit, so if you're lucky enough to get multiple bullseyes, You don't have to spread them around the unit. You can actually keep hitting the same thing multiple times. I've found found the the X-Launcher is is a little bit more flexible with the way it can fire and the choice of the
0: special ammunitions. Absolutely. We then move on to the support and the strategic weapons. And here the Isaurians are fundamentally the same as the Concorde at the moment. The only difference being possibly this phase shift shield.
3: The weapon drones of um, the battle drones. I've not really touched them too much because they haven't had any kind of models available, and well, I've tended to keep the the armies a lot smaller at the moment. Seven fifty and a thousand's about the highest I've pushed the Dorians at the moment say so. but that tends to be around a solid core of infantry more than the uh, the drones. I will have to try out a, a model rep with the C three M four for the equivalent M V five and see how it works and maybe try a, a phase shift shield on it and see what it works but Really, it's it's all about uh, the, the batter drones on them, really, and the, the, the high resistance and the, the fact they've got some really nice weapons on there.
0: Yes, and they also have a big marker on them which says X-Howitzers and Magmortars hit here.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: I think we've just about wrapped it up because the auxiliary units, whilst they're lovely models again, and I do love this Isaurian uh, visual uh, scheme, the targeters, probes and the scouts are basically the same as in the other things we, we've talked yep. about. Yeah,
1: play, play targeter shards. They're amazing.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Anyway, Jez, that is absolutely wonderful. It's lovely having you on the Freeborn Shard. Absolute and... pleasure.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be happy to do something again if you, want, if you want to, if you want to do something that regards uh, painting side. so
1: Yeah, that that's an offer. I don't think we can refuse. I think that's fantastic. Let's do that. Cool.
0: Continuing with our Isaurian theme, we're now going to talk about the background to the Isaurian Cenotex with Rick Priestley. Hello, Rick. Hello, Tim. How's Trix? Trix has gone very well. We've had a lot of fun this episode with Jez Allen and his discussions about what's good, what's bad and what's ugly about the Isaurians.
4: Oh, I'm looking forward to reading that, especially the ugly bit.
0: (laughs) I think we can say overall that the models are really quite nice they are really quite alien looking and the senra i think are one of the best aliens yes active aliens i think i've seen on the tabletop
4: well i wanted to do something that was genuinely alien and every time every time you see an alien portrayed either on the tv or in movies or in um, most science fiction games what you've got is a big ugly man (laughs) an ogre or something even if it's even if it's um, alien in configuration in some way, mm. it'll have a human face. And you think, why? You mean the Jab of the Hut uh, syndrome, you mean? Yeah, exactly. It's, you go, know, why? Why? There are, I mean, there are reasons why you have to give things uh, some sort of expression. So you do end up moving in that direction a little bit. But um, why every alien in the entire universe should have a pentadactylic limb structure and a spine, you know, as if it evolved on Earth? in some way yeah I've no idea it just seems it just seems peculiar to me so um, when I've been looking at all the Ontarian aliens I first and foremost gone no it's an alien it's evolved on a different planet with different genetic structure that might have spun off from something more typically arthropod and most creatures on the planet on our planet are arthropods you know most of them are are, are, are arthropods of some kind Mm. it's only uh, you know vertebrates are a bit of a freak many ways <laughs> yeah and in a minority yeah
0: one of the things which um it would be nice to know is could the isori as they when they actually contacted sankiri could they have actually uh, joined them befriended them i suppose or allied with them in any
4: way yeah, I, I've kind of portrayed the uh, Sankiri as being just completely uh, impossible to communicate with. And that sort of gave me the principle by which the, the two cultures developed. that sort of, um, in one case, spore-based and in the other case, nano-based um uh, way of interacting through the technology uh, that, that that led to the eventual destruction of the Sankiri. So I don't know really. I mean the San the, uh, the Sanra, the the ones which are um, wholly Isaurian, Isaurian, sharded. Yeah, I mean they're they they're almost like a, they've been brought. It's like a dog that's been brought up to believe it's a cat. You, you know, they're not quite. They don't have any cultural connection to their uh, their species. So um, so they're, they're they're slightly an odd thing.
0: Does that? diversion of physicality go throughout the isaurians as well i mean are they more diverse than
4: the concord oh you mean in terms of their morphs um human mm. morphs i don't think so i think they're about the same but the same is probably more than you get the impression from the models we've made
0: yes <laughs> well yeah obviously yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh simply because we've got something that is you know so wonderfully alien
4: yeah i don't i don't think the fact that they've got that sanarar interaction Affects their uh, physio- uh, physiology, you know, the the physical expression, the phenotype of the uh, of the of the human frame. I, th- I think mm. there is they'll have as many morphs and individual variations in appearance um, as the pan-human Concord. Yeah, got probably similar ones too. You know, because because they all would have evolved through the previous ages of um, of Antorian space.
0: That's the question, really. I mean, were the Isaurians really the first colony?
4: Yeah, I think so. I, I sort of suggested they were. I always like to keep an open door. <laughs> with all the, As you know, <laughs> I've said this many a time, just in case I change my mind one day. <laughs> but, <laughs> or somebody else does. Or, you, know, you, just, you just find something that's, uh, ha-ha, you thought this, but in fact that... But uh, yeah, in the background, I think of Isauri as being the first, the first real human colony in uh, Anturian space, way back when.
0: And they expanded during several different phases by the looks of, looks of things, yeah. sometimes actually into real space, mm. which is quite interesting. I mean, are we likely to see anything more about their sublight or near light speed interstellar craft?
4: Yeah, possibly. I used it mostly as a plot device. So, it gives you the opportunity to go, well, here's Antorian space, but here, from this one star, you've got another little network that's a real t- uh, real-time real space network, but that real-time space network is constrained by that one entry point through that one gate.
0: Yeah, and communication by the speed of light and
4: everything. Of yeah. Course, yeah. So, you immediately have uh, the ability to go, well, you think Antorian space is big. Well, it's not the end of it you can then expand every single point outwards into a something in its own right
0: a small web around that actual uh, yeah.
4: gateway yeah based on sublight or, or, or near light travel so you'd only really have about 20 light years to play with at the most it sounds quite reasonable to me <laughs> but but it's your universe quite a long way isn't it 20 light <laughs> it's
0: light-years. still quite a long way yeah. i know yeah so where are you going for lunch well um <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sorry my sense of humor then catching up on me here but it does suggest a really quite advanced level of technology here i mean are the isaurians really that much more advanced technologically than the concorde or is it only just a few core worlds perhaps
4: no i think it's general but i think it's in some specific technologies and i tried to make it particularly particular to the dimensional technologies that are to do with the gateways themselves yeah so i think one of the things that i picked up on was the idea that the isurians had found a way of destroying a gate which in itself triggered the collapse of the previous age it's almost like oops let's not do that again (laughs) yes
0: and as it says in the battle for xylos they then built a chronophasic craft i believe which they then used to actually get to xylos to try and do something yeah about the collapse there, yeah,
4: because it detects the space, the time warps that are going on because of the um, the gate build, and, uh, uh, and and she phases in on it, almost like a weather system that goes from high pressure to low pressure.
0: Yeah, you describe it as actually being attracted and drawn to it in uh, yeah Zalos. We like to see that in use again.
4: Well, I, I've, I've let's say I, I, I haven't thrown the idea away. We could certainly <laughs> use it again. Um, the uh, the next supplement because the way the uh, the first campaign went mostly a uh, go victory i think you can proudly say
0: <laughs> i wasn't able to play much because i was demoing too many games but yes the ones i played i really quite enjoyed i
4: don't it. think that matters much i think it's much more important that um, the people that, i mean not everyone get a chance to play and it, it came mm. the the actual online campaign happened as soon as the book came out so uh, i think to, to many people uh, it just overtook them <laughs> yeah uh, but that's not a problem. It gave us an opportunity to focus our releases and to publish some really cool stuff on the web, actually. Some really nice um, battle write-ups.
0: There were indeed. Um, some of Clayton's we had on last time were really quite nice as well. But yeah, there were, there were there were others and people had really spent a lot of time on them, which is nice to see that enthusiasm be generated.
4: Yeah. I agree. I'm very impressed. And uh, can I just say thank you to everyone who did take part whilst we are here? Because it, uh, it, it really kind of enthused me as well as much as anything else. Uh, and it's going to give me a bit of a steer on the next um, uh, supplement. But um, because it, the way it went, we probably won't feature Isaurians heavily in the next supplement. Okay. And also it gives us an opportunity to do the development on the model range, which, which I think is, is going to take a bit longer than the next supplement will take. So
0: we'll, we'll have to see. OK, because it, you've just hijacked my next question, oh, which was how much of the Isaurians going to appear in the next supplement? But you've well, just answered that. A bit, but not. they won't be the main focus of it. If you don't mind me asking, who will be,
4: if you like, the main focus? I think it's going to be the um, uh, Freeborn. Yeah. And the reason for that, more than anything, is because we're lining up to do the plastic Freeborn set.
0: The Damari, which yeah, Andy mentioned that's it. Uh, earlier in the podcast, yeah,
4: which are looking really nice. You know, they're uh, very, very, very splendid models.
0: Lovely. That'll be good to see them coming out. Actually, I think the other thing that I'd like to see. You mentioned that there's going to be perhaps a command squad coming out and assault squad coming out at Senra. Are there any other forms of the? San Ra, San Kiri going to come out as well.
4: Well, you know, physically, mm. hadn't planned on doing. It. I kind of imagine the Sanra being that physical form. Of course, with an alien race, you can do whatever you like, and, and uh, we we could do variant sizes or forms of them. But I, I'd always imagine them being that one thing. Uh, having said that, the Vol are going to be the uh, the main alien antagonist, and we're just doing the work on those at the moment. Uh, we're trying to get the concepts done, and I'm starting to do the army lists for them. And um, one of the things about them is they have two two, two forms. They they have like a uh, large, I say large, they probably won't be large models, but they'll be quite, in the game sense of the word, large models. But they're they're about the same size as Sanaral. Might be a little bit bigger even. And then there's a a tech form, which is a little smaller. So uh, I've kind of used the idea of two forms for the the Vol. Almost like a warrior uh, cast
0: and... A leader or tech cast? It's,
4: it's actually more of a tech... Uh, the tech cast are small. A vol is a, tr- a tripartite symbiote. So they have a head section, which also has legs on it. And they have a middle section, and then they have a tail section. And they, they're vaguely S-shaped, with the head at the top and the middle in the middle and then the tail at the end. And the head section on its own forms a, uh, a, a little kind of tech class. Because that's th- that's where the brain is.
0: <laughs> right. And the other parts of the body have end- have got basic neural clusters, I take it, which actually communicate with that brain.
4: Yeah. The idea is the creature is transgenic. So a lot of its genetic structures have migrated from one creature to another. So all of its reproductive capacity is in the tail section and most of its digestive functions are in the middle section. So all the ancillary organs have kind of become um, sort of degenerated. They're, they're there but not there. But in, in the head section, if, it, if it's just born that way, the creature develops its proper gut and so on and so forth so it can operate. But it's a neuter. So you have these tech, I call them cephalites because they're basically the head. Yeah. So you have this little tech creature that can operate machines and, and run around and do uh, things like that, but he's a complete neuter. He's got no reproductive capacity. So, it, so, so it's almost like a slave caste. The reason is, of course, that so, as soon as you put a vehicle on the table or you put a big weapon on the table, you don't want to give it a crew of things which are expensive. <laughs> so there's a little bit of pragmatism going on there.
0: Yeah, with, when the modelling is coming back into the uh, design of the yeah. the creature. They remind me in some way of a creature that was in one of Larry Niven's books, I think, yeah. in Limit. I was trying to find it, but it's around somewhere, where mm-hmm. they had a creature the, where the fore part was the wise ancient one, um, the middle part was effectively the part which could mate, right? And I think the the rear part was possibly one which actually carried eggs in it. So it's, it sounds in some ways it's actually a similar sort of concept. This yeah uh, three part creature.
4: It is. I've I've not read that, but I think there are similar ideas in other in other science, so especially classic science fiction. So uh, I, I you know I can't claim any huge amount of originality with it, but it, it's using that idea,
0: which uh, I'm really pleased to see. Frankly, it's it's a more intricate design of um, Creatures. And we've yeah. moved away from Isaurians. We have a bit, haven't <laughs> we? Um... We have a bit, but into, into Vaul, who actually are on the map, seem to take up about half yeah the Antarian space
4: yeah I think of them as being the other the third power you know there is as there much um, it's, it's supposed to be about a third they, they control about a third of Antarian space and then the Isori another third and then Concord another third and then the mysterious extra bits all around you know determinate or the spell or...
0: yeah so it's, it's actually you've just put the vol as an approximate extent I see what you mean mm.
4: uh, and, and it's just hatched out really they, they occupy the southern part of Antares to a large extent
0: it would be lovely to see them when they come in
4: well, they're very ghibli you should uh, the um uh, the model we've had done as a uh, a kind of a test piece is um it's just been knocked up very quickly so but it gives you the basic idea of it and it's it's very centipede like i will
0: look forward to some more teasers because yeah. there was a uh, a model which actually was shown a few years back i think as a possible right usage for the vol
4: might be it might be the same one I, i'm not sure actually Can't think of it the horse like head almost yeah yes it does have a
0: um, I'd describe it as more ant-like the head. Rick, thank you ever so much for giving us a quick overview and some answers to some questions uh, about the Isaurians, and we'll hope to have you on again if that's all right. For...
4: Yes, I'd love to. Tim. Uh, just uh, give me a bell, and I'll, I'll get out. Of, I'll get out of bed and put my pants on, and I'll, I'll, I'll come and, uh, I'll come on. Of course, there's no video, is You've been listening to the Freeborn Shard with
0: Tim Bancroft and Justin Shearer. The podcast is produced by Tim Bancroft and the music is Nice Dudes Theme by Big Nick, used with permission. Our guests today were Jez Allen, Rick Priestley and Andy Hobday.